Okay. Um, As you've already heard, this week we are entering into a new series because we have entered the season of Lent, starting on Wednesday, which was uh, Ash Wednesday. We know that uh, Lent is sort of a tradition that's been around in the church for, what, hundreds of years? can't quite say thousands because it's only two, but hundreds of years um, globally in lots of different traditions. And it's not necessarily always been part of of our tradition as a Baptist church, but it is certainly a practice that we want to learn from and engage in uh, and recognise how we can enter into this journey well. The idea of Lent is that we are walking towards Easter. It's the 40 days leading up to Easter and the idea of kind of entering into the story of Jesus and the story of Easter, that we might not just come to Easter as kind of a long weekend and go, oh yeah, that's right, we're remembering Jesus' death and resurrection, but that we might walk that journey and walk into that story well and um, be prepared for that season, but also be a part of that uh, over this period, over these six weeks. So walking towards Easter and walking within the story of Jesus. And part of the thing that we love about Lent here at Richmond and we've tried to practice over the last few years is is the idea that Lent often comes with some practices. Uh, It might be that you give up something. That's probably what Lent is most famously known for. People give up something for Lent. Uh, But that's not the only way to practice Lent. There's certainly an invitation to that if that's something you want to do, the idea of fasting. Um, But as we explored last year, Lent also includes practices like feasting uh, and practices like confession and practices uh, like repentance and penitence and prayer and worship and all kinds of things. Uh, And so this year, we're going to be walking with Jesus through Luke's gospel in the lead up to Lent. And as we walk um, in the way of Jesus, again, invite ourselves into some practices um, that are maybe less common practices, things that we're <laughs> making up as we do them, um, things that we're having a go at, but ways that we can engage physically uh, and communally, corporately, as a family, uh, and spiritually and thoughtfully in this story of Jesus. I've said this many, many times um, from this, you know, from this place right here at Richmond that we love this idea of practices because it's both uh, a discipline and a habit that we develop and we say our faith is something that we practice. It makes a difference in our lives over and over again. It's not just something that sits on a shelf and we take it out once a week, but it's part of our daily habits. But I also love the word practice because it gives us permission to try stuff and make mistakes and be bad at things because we're just practicing and we're having a go. So really invite you over these next few weeks as we enter into Lent to have a go at some of these things. You already heard there's going to be a podcast each week and as we gather each Sunday, we're going to engage in some different practices and then over the Easter weekend. So throw yourself into it and have a go. To walk towards Lent, this series that we're looking at is going to be engaging in Luke's Gospel. And that's very appropriate because Luke's Gospel is all about walking on the road with Jesus. From about the midway point, from about chapter 9 in Luke's Gospel, Jesus, we are told, sets his face towards Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to Jerusalem where he's going to be killed, where the events of what we now call Easter are going to unfold. And he sets his face towards that and he walks along the road knowing that that's where he's going. And so there's something beautiful in that invitation to Lent that says that's what we know where we're going to. We're going to the remembrance of those events of Easter and we're walking with Jesus along the way. And so we're going to be looking at different stories that happen uh, along the way as Jesus walks towards the cross. And so that's why we started today with what you might have thought was an inappropriate reading because it's kind of the Palm Sunday reading and it's not Palm Sunday today. But it's the first in this series of us walking with Jesus along the road to the cross. And I've certainly discovered over the last few years kind of the importance of this idea of walking in relationship to following Jesus. 
that Jesus invites his disciples to walk along the way with him is, is not an accident. It's an invitation to practice and do life with him. It's an invitation to ensure that faith and discipleship is more than something we just talk about and it's more than something we just think about even more than something we sing about when we gather together on a Sunday but it's part of our daily lives Um, we've been talking a lot over the last few weeks about discipleship and the idea of apprenticeship an apprentice is someone who literally you know walks along and goes with someone I had some plumbers at my house this week and they brought an apprentice with them so I'm thinking about because we've been talking about apprenticeship and I'm like I'm not sure that the apprentice actually did anything but he just walked around and followed the other plumber and everything the plumber did he was like yeah he looked at it and then he walked over here Mm, yeah, nodded. <laughs> but that's the role, right? And I'm, I'm pretty sure he was a pretty new apprentice. <laughs> he wasn't yet hands-on. But over time, he will learn to you know, practice what the person he's following is doing. But this idea that apprenticeship, discipleship, following Jesus is integrated into every moment of our lives and it comes with practice and walking and habit is really significant. And so this morning, to start this series, we're looking at the way of worship. One of the ways that we walk with Jesus is in the way of worship. So if you'll read to us the story from Luke 19, oh, I should have said if you uh, want to follow along with the app, I don't have any pretty slides for you today, but we do have an outline um, on the Bible app if you want to follow along with that and take notes if that's part of your regular practice of listening to the messages and kind of engaging with them, then please do that. So I get the Bible open. Stay open. Okay. <laughs> so Jesus is coming towards the end of this journey, walking towards Jerusalem. And in fact, in this story, he is entering into Jerusalem for the first time a week before uh, the Passover, which will be his death. And as Jesus walks into Jerusalem, we read this great story of his disciples publicly acclaiming him. They get He rides in on this donkey and they get their coats and put them on the ground. Some of the other versions of this story in the other Gospels talk about them waving palm branches, which is why we then call it Palm Sunday. And they take these words from a psalm, from Psalm 118 in the Old Testament, and they shout them out to him and they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they praise him. And of course, the Pharisees are not very happy with this and they critique what is going on. And in fact, they say to Jesus, tell your disciples to stop. Tell your disciples to stop doing that. Now, we to be careful here. It's not that the disciples don't, uh, sorry, not the disciples. It's not that the Pharisees think they're being too noisy. It's not that the Pharisees think, oh, this is a bit, Pharisees are thinking this is a bit of a public spectacle. The Pharisees actually have a theological issue here because what Jesus' disciples are doing is taking the words of the psalm the words of praise that the people of God have been singing for centuries to God and applying them to Jesus and praising Jesus. And the Pharisees are like, hang on, what are you saying about who Jesus is? And so they say to Jesus, tell your disciples to stop that. That's not okay. This is not acceptable for people to be giving their praise to you, Jesus, and not to God. And Jesus answers them in a really interesting way because he doesn't engage in theological debate. He doesn't try and prove and say, well, actually, I'm the Messiah. I'm the King of the Jews. I'm, you know, I'm God, the second person of the Trinity, and I'm therefore rightfully the recipient of praise. All of those things are true. <laughs> but what Jesus simply says is, if my disciples don't praise me, the rocks will cry out and give me praise. Implication, Jesus is saying, all of creation knows who I am. <laughs> And my disciples have figured it out and are joining in. But if they didn't, 
it wouldn't matter because all of creation would still be praising me. And Jesus himself is drawing on the Psalms and imagery from the Old Testament, which talks about rocks crying out and trees clapping their hands and mountains and rivers roaring for joy. And that all of creation sings God's praise. So I guess the question for us this morning is, how does this story invite us to consider what it means to walk in the way of worship? To be people who, as we walk the journey of life, as we follow Jesus, as we are disciples and apprentices to Jesus, what does it mean to walk in the way of worship? And there are just three things I want to draw out of this passage. I'm sure there are many more. But three things that really struck me for us as a community and as I was reading this passage. The first one is simply this, that worship is declaring praise aloud. Worship is vocal. It's noisy. (laughs) Now, I know that at the beginning of our gathering this morning, we asked the question, what can worship look like? And we named it as sometimes worship can look like silence. And it absolutely can. We'll get there in a minute. But the heart of worship is declaration. And declaration is usually done vocally and verbally. There's something important about saying out loud the truth about who God is and about who King Jesus is. This is why songs and singing and music in church is really helpful. We talked um, at Over for this morning in our gathering, like we're talking about worship, and so often worship and singing kind of almost get conflated as if they are one and the same, and they're not. And so we're like, let's make sure that we practice worship in some other ways this morning, not just singing. And we even considered not having any singing at all. But singing is actually a really helpful way of declaring praise aloud together when we are gathered. It's not that singing isn't worship and isn't a really helpful tool for worship. It's just that it's not all of what it means to worship. But if we want to gather together as the people of God and together declare who He is and acknowledge out loud, then one of the best and easiest ways to do that is singing. There are other ways as well. We did it when we spoke the Lord's Prayer together. We spoke to each other in different ways. We're going to engage in another practice later this morning. But the idea that worship is declaring praise aloud, I think, is a really helpful starting point. And if you think about speaking out loud, it then makes you think about, well, who am I speaking to? Who's hearing? If I could just do it silently, I would still get the benefit, wouldn't I? Why do I need to declare praise aloud? And I reckon there's a number of dimensions to this. One is that God loves to hear his people give him praise. If you are a parent or if you're in a relationship with someone, don't you love it when that person actually tells you that they love you or tells you how much they appreciate or actually speaks the words? I love when I hear parents say to kids, like, use your words. <laughs> like, it's one thing to have feelings and expressions of gratitude and love and joy. It's another thing to have them spoken out loud and to hear and receive them. And God delights in hearing us acknowledge who He is. He doesn't need our praise as if He needs His ego stroked, but God loves and delights to hear us respond to Him. So, physically, God is hearing our praise when we vocalize, when we verbalize, and we declare it out loud. The other thing is that we are hearing it. And this is something I've done a lot of thinking about over the years and I'm not sure that I've got it tied up in a neat bow. But there's something different, go with me here, about thinking a thought and about thinking a thought and then saying that thought out loud with your mouth. There's something when you do the second part that makes it more real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, It's like when you say it out loud and you hear yourself say it, you hear your own voice speak it, it brings it into being in a different way. 
It's getting a bit sort of philosophical about how words and hearing works. But there is something really significant about hearing yourself say something out loud that makes it more real. And if what we are doing in, in worship, in praise, is declaring the truth about who God is, then it's actually really helpful for us to hear ourselves say it out loud. It functions as this kind of reminder to ourselves, that's right, that's what's true, that's what's real, that's what I believe, that's who Jesus is to me and who Jesus is in the world. The act of declaring praise aloud has a benefit for us to hear ourselves in saying it. There's all kind of writers on this who talk about this idea of it making things more real and use terms like world making, that's a Brueggemann term. He says that when we praise out loud, it's actually a world-making activity. We're actually speaking something into being and making it real. Not that Jesus wasn't already who he was, but for us, it becomes a new reality that what we have declared about Jesus now becomes our reality and what we live out of. And so the act of praise, of declaring aloud, is formative and shapes us and changes us and changes how we live in response. So that's a pretty good reason for declaring praise aloud. But the other thing is, when we declare praise aloud, other people get to hear it too. And that's a pretty significant part of worship. It's not an individual activity. It's something that we do together and we do publicly so that we might hear one another declare praise and so that anybody might hear that we are declaring God's praise. Because worship, praise, is an invitation to others to join us in this reality, in this truth of who God is. Worship is mission, or missional, if you like. That when we declare truth about who God is in worship, other people hear it and are invited to join us in that same reality. So worship is declaring praise aloud, and that's what the disciples were doing. They're like, we can't keep quiet. As we have come to know who Jesus is, as we've walked with him and followed him, and we now see him riding into Jerusalem and kind of knowing something, not understanding, but knowing something of what it means for him to be who he is and how that's going to play out, all we can do is have these words just come out of our mouths aloud. And they make this noise, declaring, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise to the King, Jesus. So how do we walk in the way of worship and declare God's praise aloud? What does it look like for us when we gather, for us in our lives on our own, to say out loud to ourselves, or so that ourselves might hear to God and to one another, this is who God is. This is the honour and praise he deserves. This is how much we love and worship him. But that's not the end of the passage. Because as we said, the Pharisees have a problem with that and they say, stop it. Jesus, tell your disciples to stop this because they recognise that worship is more than just declaring praise aloud. Worship is actually enthroning Jesus as King. In the act of worship, in the act of praise, by taking these words of the psalm and applying them to Jesus, Jesus' disciples are saying, this is the Messiah. This is the King. This is Jesus the Christ. And you know, spoiler alert for the rest of the Easter story, this is what's going to get Jesus killed. Because this is really threatening to a whole bunch of people to actually claim out loud and speak into being the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is King is a threatening, subversive, radical, political act that the disciples are engaging in here. Worship is enthroning Jesus as King. 
And I think this is probably why I would say that songs, great as they are, are not enough. Because if all we think worship is, is singing, then we're missing something of what's going on here. That worship is a recognition and a response to the reality of who Jesus is. It is saying, I know and I am acknowledging and I am responding to the fact that Jesus is King. And you can't say that and not do anything about it. (laughs) That means that I submit to Him. That means that I live my life for Him. That means that everything I do in every moment of my day is reshaped by that truth. If Jesus is enthroned as King, over all of creation, and if I acknowledge that out loud, my life has to look different than it did before I did that, before I acknowledged that. It is transformative. And not only does my life look different, but the world has to look different if we actually acknowledge and respond to Jesus as King. And the world is different because people acknowledged and responded to Jesus as King. (laughs) Those disciples on that road walking into Jerusalem that day might have been the first ones to do this. And the Pharisees might have said, stop, don't do that. That's not okay. But for the last 2,000 years, people have been saying, no, that is actually the truth. This guy, Jesus from Nazareth, is the Messiah. He is King. He is God in the flesh. And that changes everything. And the world is a different place than it was 2,000 years ago because people have acknowledged and enthroned Jesus as King. Now, they haven't all always got it right, and I certainly haven't all got it right. But lives have been changed. Nations have been changed. People's, um, you know, have, have started schools and hospitals and like you know like literally the whole idea of education and the whole idea of healthcare has started in countries because people acknowledge that Jesus is king people have cared for the poor and loved the sick people have invited those who are outside to be a part of their community people have welcomed strangers and brought them into a new family the world has been changed because saying that Jesus is king has to be worked out in practice of living like he is king, living with him as our king. So we don't just describe the reality, but we change the reality by enthroning Jesus as king. And worship is an act that responds to that recognition. And so therefore, you can read books about worship, which would say, and I think they're right, anything we do can be worship. Not just singing. Service can be worship. Loving someone can be worship. Caring for someone can be worship. Doing your job can be worship. If it is done as an act of response to who Jesus is, if it is enthroning him as king and saying, all my life is now a response to who you are, King Jesus. All that we do becomes worship because it is a response and a recognition of who Jesus is. So worship is declaring praise aloud. It is enthroning Jesus as king. And then the last thing that I love that Jesus points us to in this passage is that worship is so much bigger than us. Worship doesn't start with me and it doesn't even start with the disciples. It doesn't start with the community of God's people. Jesus' words to the Pharisees invite them to recognise that worship begins with the whole of creation. If worship is responding to and recognising who God is, then everything that God has made participates in worship. 
And so it's not just beautiful poetry when the writers of the Psalms and the prophets in the Old Testament say that the trees clap their hands and the oceans roar and the mountains cry out. Yes, those are metaphors. Trees don't literally have hands, but they are declaring a truth that everything that God has made announces, declares, lives to respond to who God is. All of creation worships the God who created. And so when we are invited to worship, we're actually invited to join in with the rest of creation. We're not starting something. We're joining in with something that's already happening. If you go back to the the idea of music, not that it's all about music, but I love this analogy or this picture. There is a song that has been sung since the very beginning of time. That everything that God has made speaks and declares his praise. The psalmist would say the stars declare the glory of God. You look up at them and they tell you how big God is. And the oceans, as they roll and run, thunder and roar, as the tide comes in and out, as the waves crash and bound, they are declaring who God is. And the beauty of a flower or a seed, or an atom under a microscope, (laughs) with the details and the intricacies of how it is woven and held together, is speaking of the intimate, intricate involvement of God in all that he has made. And so worship is an invitation for us to join in that same song that is already being sung by all of creation in everything that God has made. And I think I love this idea because it means it's not dependent on me. It doesn't start with me and it doesn't end with me. God is being worshipped regardless of whether I join in or not. Everything that God has made is declaring and honouring and praising and testifying to him. And I'm invited to be a part of it. And why wouldn't I want to join in if I recognise who he is, who King Jesus is, and recognise that I too am a part of the creation that he has made and that my life can declare in what I say, in what I do, in how I live, in who I am, a response to who he is. If they don't praise me, Jesus says, the rocks will cry out. I have in my pocket a rock. It's not a very impressive looking rock. It's quite little. Uh, It's quite small. But I've had it for quite a while and it's travelled quite a way. So the first time I went to Israel, um, gosh, nearly 20 years ago, one of my friends said to me, can you please bring me back a crying stone? And I said, what's a crying stone? <laughs> he said, you know, when Jesus was walking on the way to Jerusalem with disciples and he said, if the people don't praise me, the rocks, the stones will cry out. Can you bring me back one of those stones? <laughs> okay, sure. So as we were walking down the Mount of Olives on the way into Jerusalem, for the first time I looked and I saw there's stones everywhere. They're all about pretty much this same colour. Everything in Jerusalem's that colour. And I picked up a stone for my friend. And of course, I picked up a stone for myself as well. And I brought it back for him. And I'm like, so why did you want this? Why do you want a crying stone? And why should I hang on to this little tiny stone that I've carried from the other side of the world? He said, because it reminds me, if I don't worship, the rocks will cry out. That all of creation declares who God is and invites me to join in, to participate in declaring and praising aloud. And so this little stone has sat on my shelf, I said, for nearly 20 years, uh, and I often pass it by and don't notice. But when I do look at it, it does serve as a reminder to me 
to worship, to praise, to join in the song. To not be like the Pharisees who say, no, 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 that's, stop that. That's not okay. So actually, I believe that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the promised one of God. And that means that I want to declare it out loud and join in with all creation in singing that song. So this morning, we're going to engage in a very simple practice. You might have noticed as you came in that there are some stones around the place. There are four tables, two at the back and two at the front on each side, that have some stones on them. And we have some incredible paint pens uh, that you can write with and make, your, make you look like an artist, even when, if you're like me, and you're not at all an artist. And what I want to invite you to do in a few minutes is to take the opportunity to get a stone and to write something on it that is a reminder of praise, a reminder of this way of worship that all of creation is crying out. It might be a word of praise. It might be praise or, you know, um, shout or sing or give thanks. Or it might be a word that describes who Jesus is, King, Father, Shepherd, love, gratitude. It might be a word that is your response to Jesus of how you feel, joyful, peaceful, grateful. Whatever it is, something that serves to remind you that all of creation declares who God is and you are invited to join in the song. Now, a couple of instructions for you. Once you've written on your stone and painted it, you don't get to take it home with you. I'm really sorry, but this is part of the biggest series of what we're doing over these next few weeks. You will get to take it home with you after Easter. But what we're going to do over the next few weeks as we engage in these practices is actually kind of uh, draw some things together that we'll then be able to use again in the future. So we're going to use these rocks in another in a few weeks' time over Easter um, as part of our activities then. So does that make sense? So write on a rock, make it beautiful, and yes, you can have it at some point in the future. But for today, we'd ask you to leave it here so that we can collect them all together and they can become part of our corporate communal Lenten journey as we walk the way of Jesus. The other thing to remind you of, as was mentioned before, uh, is we've got a a short podcast that will be starting this week. It's just 10 minutes. And this week's podcast is going to reflect on this same passage that we've just looked at this morning. But the invitation as you listen to that podcast this week is actually to go for a walk. So that won't be the same every week, but this week in particular, really want to encourage you as a way of practicing this response to listen to the podcast by going for a walk and a walk, you know, outside in creation. Now, outside in creation might mean, if you're like me, like in the middle of the city, (laughs) or it might mean out in the middle of the bush, or it might be along the beach. It could be anywhere, but somewhere where you can engage with creation, with what God has made, whether that's the beauty of nature or people or uh, everything in between. So that's going to be the invitation for this week to practice worship uh, as you listen to that podcast by looking uh, and appreciating and joining in with all of creation. So there's a couple of practical things to take away with you uh, individually to listen to the podcast later this week and go for a walk and join in the worship of all creation. But this morning, to take those few minutes to grab one of those stones and as you're writing on it, as you're making it beautiful, as you're engaging with one another and having fun doing it, to be invited into this great song that all of creation has been singing since the very beginning and that is now for us part of the way of Jesus where we declare who he is we recognize and enthrone him as king and we make it known to ourselves and to one another and to him that we are worshiping him so let me pray and then we'll do that king Jesus we do want to worship you 
Uh, We worship you when we gather. We do it in song and prayer and word and reflection. And we want to worship you with the whole of our lives because we believe you are King Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the one who God promised and God sent, the one who is worthy of all praise and worship. As we pray as a community, as we embark on this journey of Lent this week, you might show us what it looks like to walk in the way of worship day by day, whether that's taking time out to go for a walk and listen to the podcast, whether it's in the way that we go about our daily tasks and activities of work and life and housework and cleaning, whatever it might be, that we might do it in an acknowledgement and response to who you are and your presence with us, King Jesus. And in that way, we might be joining in with all creation in worshipping you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.